Hi, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Schweitzer today. It's really good to be with you. Thanks for being here. Wherever you're at, it's, uh, it's really exciting to be with you. I'm Jim. I serve as a pastor and our host for this experience. And if you're a guest, especially glad you're here. Thanks for being here. We have a gift for you. Check in with us and we'll send a Starbucks digital gift card out to you right away. Enjoy some coffee, some brew, whatever else you'd like at Starbucks. Enjoy that on us. Today, we're continuing our new series, second week of the series called Two Sons. And we're exploring the scripture that teaches us about the extravagant love of God as told through a story that Jesus tells of a father and his two sons. It's a beautiful and profound story that we can all see ourselves in. God has a message for us all today. To go deeper into the message, please go to sumc.co slash next. There's sermon uh, questions, more to dive into, to go deeper there. So enjoy that as well today. And now let's hear from Stephanie. She's gonna tell us more about how to stay connected here at Schweitzer. Hi, I'm Stephanie. It's hard to believe it, but next weekend is Labor Day weekend. And on Sunday, we'll have Family Worship Sunday. All ages will join us for both our 9 and 1045 worship services. Remember, there will be no kids programs that day. We're also really excited that we'll be led in worship by a bluegrass band. So invite your friends for something special that day. If you're traveling, of course, you can still enjoy the same great message plus featured worship on both live.sumc.co or our YouTube channel at any time. And now I'm gonna throw to Pastor Spencer for some exciting staff news. Well, hey church, I've got some exciting news to share with you today. We have been praying and praying and praying for God to give us guidance and to show us and provide for us some key staff roles. And so I'm so excited today to announce to you that we have filled two of our open positions. On September 1st, Levi Zinn will be joining our church staff as the Director of Student Ministries. He's coming here from Lubbock, Texas and relocating, he and his wife Taylor. And so I'm so excited as we get to know them and see God use them in the life of our teenagers of our church. And then at the end of September, Doug King will be joining our church as the Director of Modern Worship, leading our modern worship services. Doug has a ton of experience, helped start a church, has built teams from scratch. I'm so excited for the work that Doug is going to do. He's a talented musician who's going to lead us well. So keep praying for these guys and for their families as they come and join our church family at Schweitzer. So excited to see what God is doing through us and them. One last thing we want to tell you about. Coming up the first weekend in October, our newest ministry called Second Season, which is aimed at those entering the retirement years, grandparents, etc., will be hosting two great events. The first is a big boomer bash on Friday night. This free event will feature live music, food, lawn games, and more. And then on Saturday, we'll be hosting a seminar, which will be focused on helping you to learn great ways to serve, develop deeper relationships, and live a more meaningful life. You can find out about both of these and sign up at sumc.co slash second season. We are so glad you're here with us today. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Stephanie. We really appreciate you. If you're worshiping with us live today, we invite you to engage. There's a chat feature on your screen. Uh, hit that and say hello to your friends. Give us your insights and more. That'll be a lot of fun. Also, if you'd like to receive a prayer, we have people willing to pray with you. There's a prayer button. 
So access prayer today. Uh, we would be privileged to pray with you. And now on this day that God has given us, this day that we rejoice in and celebrate with God and each other, let's worship.
Now let's pray together. What a, what a gift, uh, what a privilege it is to uh, pray with each other, deepen our relationship with God, which is so crucial, and with each other to enjoy, celebrate, and pray together. This week in our scripture, we're going to hear, as Pastor Spencer leads us, about God's extravagant, extravagant love. And what does that mean? Extravagance is to, uh, to live without restraint and to not hold back. And as I reflected on this scripture today and on these words, God's very nature, which is unconditional love, sacrificial, uh, again, not holding back, a God that loves us more than we can imagine. Let's, let's pause here and give thanks to God for God's extravagance in his love for us. Holy God and kind, kind Father, it's really hard for us to imagine, and yet we do because it is the reality that you have created and who you are that you wish to, to love us and to lavish your great love on us, as you say in Scripture, and to surround us and then fill us with your Spirit in a way that, that makes all the difference. God, we thank you that you pursue us, that you, you don't hold back. And we confess we turn from you, we turn away, uh, we neglect you, uh, we forget in our humanness. But God, your unfailing, relentless pursuing love makes all the difference. We ask that uh, you use us uh, to, to express your love to others in a world that is deeply needing you. We thank you for the people that you send into our lives who represent the love and show us the love that we need to see to give us the continuing hope and encouragement to go through what, what can be a really hard life. But God, you are never failing, always faithful, and we are your children. That's what you call us. Help us to claim that, to know that, to be your children of God and to be your light to be your love in this world. What a privilege. God, we love you. We praise you. And now we uh, pray together. Uh, the prayer you taught us, Lord, long ago, we pray both with humility and confidence, uh, your prayer and saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now as we come to this time of offering, we thank God for God's generosity, God's care and provision in our lives. God gives and gives and gives. God is generosity. And we respond with faith and trust and obedience. We give back to God out of all that God gives to us. And what a privilege that is. And we thank you for your generosity, your giving that, that makes ministries happen here on this campus, makes partnerships happen. Like in this community, we partner with other ministries like Flourish, and your generosity 
helps those partnerships really grow. And for example, recently, many of you helped spruce up the new coach house here on the campus that is part of Flourish, uh, gave of your time and your, your talent to really spruce that place up. Thanks so much for doing that. Also, there are people like you who are serving as mentors in this ministry, providing hope and encouragement to others. And we're gonna continue to need mentors. And so if you would like to do that, you can go to sumc.co slash next to find out more about this ministry and our partnership, and especially with Flourish as it's so timely. And to continue to give, to just be generous here on this campus and our community and world, uh, let's continue to go to sumc.co slash give. Again, we appreciate your spirit of generosity. Jesus tells a story of a family, one father, two sons. It's a story of heartbreak and betrayal, selfishness and isolation. It's also a story of healing and redemption, reconciliation. It's a story that teaches that everyone is welcome and invited into the family of God. No matter what your life may look like, no matter how far from God you may feel, no matter how isolated or alone you may be, everyone is welcome into the family of God. Well, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad you've joined us today. This is going to be part two of our series called Two Sons. We're spending three weeks uh, reading a story that Jesus tells us in Luke 15, which starts off like this. Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus because people are attracted to Jesus. But this brings some criticism. So verse 2. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious folk, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus, in response to this criticism, he tells three stories, and we're reading the third of the three stories that goes like this. This is verse 11. Jesus continued. He said, there was a man who had two sons, the name of our series, two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. Let me say that differently. He said, hey, dad, I want what's mine whenever you die because you're worth more to me dead than you are alive. So what does his father do with this incredibly hurtful, terrible request? Well, this, so he divided his property between them, his life's work, his, his inheritance from previous generations that has been passed from generation to generation. He, he divides this between them. Well, verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Like this is the low of lows. A good Jewish boy now working for a Gentile, feeding pigs, low of lows, and it just gets worse. Listen to the next verse. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. How sad is that last line? 
No one gave him anything. Imagine his situation, all alone, a distant land, far from home, far from people who would take care of him. And yet just a short time before this, he was flush with cash, had all kinds of people around him because you don't party by yourself. He's probably paying for every night out that they have and everyone is flocking to him. But now that he's hit the rock bottom, he's all by himself. Such a sad, sad story. And this story could easily end right here. Easily in right here, this could easily be a, a warning that Jesus gives us about don't be like this younger son. Don't be like this person who chooses selfishness and breaks relationships. Don't, don't be somebody with short-term thinking that only thinks about the moment instead of uh, what this is going to have for, for your rest of your life. Don't be like them. It easily could have ended the story right here. Or this could be the end of the story because there are a lot of stories that end just like this. We all know people whose, whose stories have gotten to this place and just kind of end here, end in brokenness and, and, and regret, and they have all kinds of shame, and there's all kinds of things that don't go well, and they, they never um, are redeemed or reconciled, or they don't, they don't rebound off of these terrible places. There's all kinds of stories that end just like this. But thankfully, this is not the end of the story. Verse 17 says, uh, what, but when he came to his senses, in other words, when he, when he wakes up, when he remembers who he is and who his father is, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he, he got up and he went to his father. Now the Bible doesn't say this. But I imagine that as he's going back to his father, the whole way home, he's repeating that speech. Make me like one of your hired servants. Forgive me for I've sinned. Like just going over in his head over and over and over again. And he's in a distant land. He's far from home. And he has to walk because he's broke. So, so he's probably playing this speech over just on repeat, just day after day after day as he, as he makes his way home. He's, he's probably just repeating the speech. He's got to get it just right so that, so that he can be forgiven and come back home. And he's just probably playing this and all the regrets that are going on, just playing a loop in his head as he, as he comes home. Now, this speech is, is also interesting. Let's unpack it for just a few moments here. Um, there's three parts to the speech. It starts off with this. Uh, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. So we start off, the very beginning of the speech is to notice the wrongdoing that's taken place and notice the word he uses here. I have sinned against heaven and earth. He doesn't say, um, I made a mistake or, uh, hey dad, I, I messed up. No, no, no. He says, that I, I, I sinned against heaven and earth, which is a loaded word to use because, because most of us, when we, uh, when we sin, we, we don't use that word sin. We like to say that we messed up. We, we made a mistake. We don't really say that we were in the wrong. We, we just, you know, say it was a mistake. It's like, it's like if, if you get found out that you were gossiping about somebody, you know, more often than not, you'd be like, you know, I'm so sorry I did that. I'm, I, I just really messed up. You know, I, I didn't think I'd get caught for one, but I just really messed up. So, you know, I didn't think you'd hear about it. I made a big mistake. And that's, that's not really a, a mistake. It's not really a, a mess up. I mean, a mistake is like when you drop your plate or when you send an email and you meant to send it to one person, but you replied all instead. Like, that's a mistake. Sin is about wrongdoing. It's, a, it's about hurting yourself or other people. Sin is, is, a, is about owning the, the harm that's been done because of the decisions that you've made. And, and while we like to think we've made mistakes or that we've messed up to kind of lighten the burden of harm that we've done, the truth is we have sinned. We've sinned against God. We've sinned against others. And the Son is owning this. 
We don't have a mistake problem as humans, a messed up problem as humans. We have a sin problem. The Bible doesn't say for all have made mistakes and fall short of the glory of God. It's that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this, this younger son is, is owning the harm that he has caused, the, uh, the problem that he has, he has brought because of his wrongdoing. So, so important as he starts off here. That's the first part. Here's the second line. It says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and then I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now notice, he knows the damage that he's done. He knows that this sin that he has caused, this harm that he has created, it has consequences because sin has consequences. And the main consequence we have of sin is that it separates us. It separates us from God. It separates us from other people. If you have a sinned against someone, just a, your, your family member, a friend, you know that that on the other side of that sin, there's a separation there. The, there's a loss of trust. There's a distance that's created there. This is what happens when we sin. It happens when we sin against God. It happens when we sin against one another, that there is a, a separation that's caused here. And so this younger son is understanding this. The relationship between father and son is, is damaged because of his sin, which brings us to the third line here. He says, make me like one of your hired servants. He's got this hope that maybe there's a sense of restoration that can come. There's like maybe a sense of kindness that the father's going to show that's going to restore him to some semblance of what his life used to be like. I know I'm not going to be a son again, but at least I can, I can be a servant. And so the younger son, I imagine, the Bible doesn't say this, but I imagine that he's just playing this speech on repeat in his brain over and over and over again as he's coming home. Meanwhile, what's his father doing? Well, the next verse, but while he, the son, was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. By the way, this word compassion in the original Greek has to do with the word for intestines. It's kind of like the father, when he sees the son, he gets punched in the gut. Like it's just an overwhelming sense of compassion that he has for his son. And so he, he ran to his son. He runs to his son. In first century um, Israel, grown men don't run. This is an undignified thing to do. Uh, children run. Grown men don't run. Head of households certainly don't run. And you especially don't run if you're going to greet the person who, who has harmed you and wronged you. You don't, you don't do this. And so he ran to his son, though. He's so overwhelmed with emotion. He ran to his son son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. This is an overwhelming moment of joy for this father. It's also got to be overwhelming for the son. Can you imagine being the son in this situation? He's coming home. He sees his dad running towards him. He's like, dad doesn't run. What's he doing? Dad doesn't run. He's running towards me. Is he, is he mad at me? What's he, what's he running at me towards? And, and, and you're wondering, like, how's he going to receive me until you see his arms open wide and tears coming down his face because he's been so moved by compassion because his son has home. And so while the, the son comes home and, and, he, and he's now face to face with his father, it's, it's time for the speech, the speech that he's been practicing over and over and over again as he makes his way home. And so in verse, we read here, verse 21, it says, the son said to him, said to the father, he's, he's got to like get ready for the speech here, kind of like amp himself up. He's, he's played it in his head so many times, but now it's time to say it to his father. So he's like, okay, I got to say this speech. I know it. I've got it memorized. I got to say it right. He looks at his dad and he says, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Okay. I got the first line down. Okay. 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 I got the first one down. Now it's time for the next line. Time for the next line here. Catch my breath. It's harder to look in, this, in his face while I say this next line, but he, he, he goes for it. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
okay, got that line down, okay, been practicing the speech, one more line to go. All I gotta say is, make me like one of your hired servants. All I gotta say, make me like one of your hired servants. And as he opens his mouth, brings in the breath to take that last breath so he can say this line, the Bible says this, but the father, the father said to his servants, the father interrupts the speech. He doesn't even get to the servant point. The father interrupts the speech and, and he's like, no, 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 okay, 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 you're here, you're here, you're here. Yeah, yeah, that's great, that's great. And he leans over to his servants and he starts calling them and he says, quick, 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 quick. Come on, come on, come on. Bring, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. The father is overwhelmed with emotion. His son is home. He was lost lost and found. He was dead and is alive. And now they're together. And this father is celebrating what the son has done, that he has come home. Now, next week, we're going to keep this story going. and we're going to read about the, the other son, the second son, the older son. But today, let's, let's pause and just consider the father, the father who is overwhelmed with emotion for his son, the father who restores and redeems his son when he comes home and dresses him up and cleans him up and put, puts uh, his ring on his finger and the robe around him and kills the fattened calf to throw a party. Let's consider this father who is celebrating that his lost son has come home because this father in the story, it, it represents God, how God's extravagant love is poured out every time we come home. Every time the lost are found, the, the extravagant love of God is shown to us. And, and this might be a, a strange way to think about God for some of us, that God would be this one who celebrates and throws parties. Because for a lot of us, when we think about God, you know, we, we think about God a bit more, maybe more serious than what we see here. Not like this undignified, I'm going to run at my son. I'm overwhelmed with emotion. I've got tears falling down my face. I just can't help but celebrate. But we're like more like, I know God loves us, but I don't know if it's like a throw up throw us a party kind of love. I don't know if that's quite what the love is. Or when we think about God, it's not like this joyful God who's just overwhelmed with emotion, but, but maybe more when we think about God, it's more like a serious God. I mean, this is the same God who gives us the Ten Commandments, for instance. And we think about all the rules that God gives us. And maybe that's how we think of God. Or, or if we think about Jesus, maybe we think about how Jesus died on the cross. That's what we think about Jesus, which is a certainly a very serious kind of thing to think about with Jesus, or, or some of us might even wear uh, jewelry with like a crucifix or have that in our homes where we have this picture of Jesus that's displayed where Jesus is on the cross and Jesus on the cross, you have this crucifix, like his head is down, his, his body is gaunt, almost like he's malnourished. He's the suffering servant dying for the sins of the world. And certainly that is true that he did those things for us. But when we then picture him and think about Jesus, it's easy to start to see him as this kind of serious one who who wants certain things from us and certain rules for us and died for us and suffered for us. But the, but the truth is that God loves to celebrate. I mean, I think about Jesus in the Bible, that Jesus was one who celebrated. He went to parties and he ate with sinners and he had these all kinds of celebrations. I think about the first miracle that Jesus performed. Do you remember what it was? It was at the wedding in Cana in Galilee. And do you remember what he did? He turned water into wine. Why did he do that? So that he could keep the party going. 
Jesus loves to celebrate. Our God is a God of joy, one of celebrations, one who wants to include other people in his celebrations. Or I think about how the Bible ends where it talks about the end of all time when Jesus will return and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and everything will be restored. And the Bible talks about how in that restoration with Jesus' return that there will be a wedding feast, a celebration when the, when the bride and the bridegroom come together, when Jesus and the church come together, it will be a celebration because our God is joyful and he loves to share his joy with us. This is what God is like. We see the celebratory God, the one who throws parties when the lost are found. This is who he is. The great author Henry Nouwen, um, he, he writes about this like this. He says it like this. He says, God rejoices. I just love that first line. God rejoices. Not because the problems of the world have been solved. Not because all human pain and suffering have come to an end nor because thousands of people have been converted and are now praising him for his goodness. No, God rejoices because, listen, one of his children, one of his children who was lost has been found. God rejoices because one person has been found. This is what he's like. He celebrates every time someone who was lost comes home, every time. He rejoices over you individually. He rejoices and celebrates every time you turn to him. And of course he does, because you are a beloved child of God. This is what's true for you. This is what God has seized in you, that when God looks at you, he doesn't see the problems. He doesn't see the ways that you've sinned. He doesn't see the ways that you've, you've harmed yourself and others. What he sees is a beloved child of God that is so worth his love that he would give his own son for us. This is the picture that God has for us. So it's no wonder that God would rejoice because this is what he's done for us. This is how he sees us, that we are his beloved children, not not his servants who, who have to grovel for his, his pleasure, but just simply the, the beloved children, his sons and his daughters who he dearly loves. Let me explain this in a, in a different kind of way. Uh, there's a story in the Bible where, about Jesus where, where right before Jesus starts his ministry, um, Jesus goes to his cousin John. His, his cousin John is out in the wilderness and he's baptizing people. His cousin John sometimes goes by the name John the Baptist. And as Jesus goes to his cousin John, he, he goes to him to, to be baptized, which is a kind of a confusing thing for, for that to happen. And so in, in, in Matthew chapter 3, read this story. And this, this baptism, it takes place before Jesus has done anything. This is before he's tempted by Satan and stands up to Satan. It's before he's preached any sermons. It's before he's gathered people to come around him. It's before he's healed anybody. It's before he walks on water or feeds the 5,000. It's before he, he uh, comes into Jerusalem as the king. It's before the crucifixion when he gives himself an obedience to God the Father. It's before anything, before anything. Right at the very beginning of his ministry, he goes to John in the wilderness to be baptized. It goes like this. I want to read this to you. It says, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, his, his cousin. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Which is what probably all of us would have said to Jesus. Like, wait a second, hold on a second. You want me to baptize you? No, 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 no. This is backwards, this is backwards, this is backwards. You need to baptize me because uh, you're perfect. I'm definitely not, so let's, let's reverse the roles here. But Jesus is like, no, 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 you don't understand. You don't understand. He goes on, he says, let it be so now, 
it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then the Bible just says, then John consented because probably he's as confused by that as you are. He's like, okay, yeah, sure, Jesus, we've got to fulfill all righteousness. Sure thing. I don't know what that means, but let's just go ahead and do the baptism because that's what you want. And so they go ahead and baptize him. And then the Bible keeps saying here, verse 16, it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, listen to this lines. He went up out of the water and at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And then verse 17, this is so important. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. One more time, I'm gonna read that line to you. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now here's a question. This may seem obvious, but I wanna ask this question. Why would God the Father Say over Jesus that this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Why would he say this? I mean, what has Jesus done? Why would Jesus be pleasing to God the Father? Why, why, would, this, why would he be pleasing? Ha, has he done anything? Has he stood up to Satan yet? No, that's the next verse. That's the next chapter. Has he preached any sermons yet? Has he, has he done great things for God yet? Has he, has he fed people in the 5,000, the 4,000? Has he walked on water? Has he healed anybody? Has he, has he taught sinners how to live a new life? Has he preached any sermons? Has he, has, he, has he gone to the Garden of the Gethsemane where he says, not my will, but your will be done, Father? Has he, has he done any of these things yet? No. He's done none, none of those things. And, and yet, when God the Father looks at Jesus the Son, he just simply says, I am well pleased with him. This is the one I love. With him, I'm well pleased. Why? Simply because he's the son. Simply because this is who he is. And when the father looks at the son, it's with nothing but love and pleasure. Did you know that according to the Bible, that if you belong to Jesus, if your faith and your trust are in him, that the Bible says about you, that you are a, listen to the word, a co-heir with Christ. That's in Romans chapter eight, go read it. You're a co-heir with Christ. That you receive from the Father everything Jesus receives as a co-heir. In Galatians chapter four, we're told that we are children of God and heirs of God. In Hebrews chapter two, we're told that Jesus is our brother. What does all that mean? Well, it means that when we belong to Jesus, what is true for him becomes true for us. That the standing he has with the Father becomes the standing that we have with the Father. And so just like Jesus, as the Father looks at Jesus and says, this is my son whom I love, I'm well pleased with him. It doesn't matter that he hasn't done anything yet. It doesn't matter that he hasn't proven this yet. He's just simply because of the nature of the relationship, I'm the Father, you're the Son, and I'm well pleased with you. This is what God looks at with you that you are his beloved child, that you are his son, you are his daughter. And when he looks at you because you belong to Christ, when he looks at you, what he says is, I'm just, I'm well pleased. I, I delight in them. My boy, my girl, this is the one I love. I am well pleased with them. It doesn't matter what they, what they're, they haven't, maybe they haven't done anything, they haven't proven themselves yet. It, it's not because you, you know, you volunteer in church that God says this. It's not because you come to church every Sunday that God says this. It's not because you tithe that God says this. It's not because you, you don't have sin in your life that God says this. It's not because, it's not because you read your Bible every day. Like there's nothing that, 
that earns more favor or more love from God is just simply this, that when he looks at us, by the nature of us belonging to Christ because our faith is in him, God's like, ah, this is my son. This is my daughter. This is my boy. This is my girl. With them, I'm well pleased. It's, It's no wonder then that when we stray from the Father and we turn and come home, that he would throw a party. Because because we are his beloved children. Like the most true thing about you is that you are a beloved child of God. So it's no wonder that God would throw a party when we return to him because he's so delighted that we would come home. So last week when we started this series, I, I shared that I wanted us to spend some time in this story in Luke 15 because I have a growing concern uh, for folks in our church. That, that the longer we stay in this pandemic and just month after month after month as it, as it stretches on, I'm, I have this growing concern that more and more people are drifting from the Lord. And it's not maybe because we're making intentional choices, like we're just choosing to go live in the distant land like the, like the younger son did, but, but moreover that, that as we live in this, this era of anxiety and uh, this, this way that maybe life is on pause in a lot of ways and we come, become disconnected from other Christians or, or maybe in our disconnection, we become lazy in our spiritual practices that we're not pursuing God in the same way that, that when we do this, we, we're becoming ungrounded and, and we have this tendency to drift. As we talked about last week, the, the way that we drift, sometimes it's not obvious, sometimes we don't know it. It's, it's just such a gradual road that we fall down that, that over time, we just, we lose sight of where we're going. And so I wanted to give us some space here as we, as we come into the fall to, to hear the invitation to come home. That, that if you're in a place where your relationship with the Lord is not where you want it to be, where maybe you feel far from God or distant from God, or maybe you've neglected some things that used to hold you close to Him, maybe you feel disconnected from the church and the people of God, that, like I want you to hear the invitation to come home, that, that you are a beloved child of God, That when the Lord looks at you, what he sees is his beloved child, his son, his daughter, his boy, his girl. You make him proud. You you are a reason that he delights. And because he loves you so much, there is always an invitation to come home. There is always an invitation to turn and to be found in him. And so if you're in this place, maybe like a lot of folks are right now, where you feel disconnected from the Lord, or, or maybe you know, you're not really sure where you stand with him, your faith has become so weak that, that this is an invitation for you to turn and to find this reception where the Father is running towards you with open arms, tears streaming down his face, welcoming you into the relationship of a father and a son, a father and a daughter, that he might show you just how much he loves you. And so that today, as we, as we close, I just, I wanna say a prayer for anyone who feels disconnected from God. Maybe you've had faith before and you've struggled with that lately. Maybe you feel like you've just been consumed by the anxiety of the, of the era. Maybe you've become lazy in your faith, or maybe you just haven't had faith before. I just wanna lead us in a simple prayer of returning to the Lord to find this welcome that he gives as he celebrates over us. Let's pray. And so Father, today we we see this welcome of the younger son and we just rejoice that this is how you treat us. That just as Jesus is your son and you welcome him, you love him, he's well pleased, that this is how we are too. 
And then you're not waiting for us to prove ourselves or to do things for you, but simply that you want us to come home. And so today, for anyone who feels far from God, I just want to invite you to, to follow in a simple prayer. We just simply say, Lord, would you, would you forgive me of my sin? How I've sinned against heaven and against you, how I've sinned and caused harm to myself, to our relationship, to ways that I've chosen selfishness and been pulled aside by distraction. Help me now to, to remember who I am, to come to my senses and to remember who you are, that you are always welcoming me home. And so, Lord, would you forgive me of my sin and would you lead my life? And that simple act of faith, a simple prayer of faith, there is always a welcome to come home. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody, for worshiping today. It has been a great experience. A special thanks to Stephanie, who always keeps us connected, to the worship team for leading us. Thanks again uh, for Pastor Spencer for the message on God's extravagant love. Uh, it is uh, really meaningful to know how much God loves us. It encourages our hearts and our lives. And if you know somebody else who could benefit by this message, we encourage you to share it on social media. Uh, share with others. We appreciate that as well. And we really look forward to seeing you back next week, week three of Two Sons. Have a great week, and we'll see you then.